Welcome to Season 1, Episode 6 of Four Seasons in a Funeral, the show where we go back and watch shows that had four good seasons and a questionable final fifth season. Today we are talking about Season 1, Episode 6 of Fringe, The Cure. My name is David, and joining me today are Charlie and Nick. Hi, I'm Charlie. And hello, I'm Nick. Awesome. So this is Take 3. We've been having issues, but fingers crossed that this is the one that'll keep. Hey, well, so far the uh, the, the actual, like, you know, quality of the sound is a little bit better, so yeah, we'll see. I can't wait for mine to like switch halfway through to my webcam mic. Only stable setup. Only stable setup. I'll stab you. Yeah, I like my setup. I still think I've got the best out of the three. Ugh. <laughs> so, uh, goals for the podcast for when it comes to funding. First goal: make nine dollars a month to pay for hosting. Second goal. Buy one pizza. Okay, third goal. <laughs> I have microphones for everyone. Yeah. I would like to be able to give back my dad this microphone that I just stole from him. Uh, yeah, after we buy a pizza. <laughs> oh, God. so like four. two years from now. Goal four, be able to buy unscratched, fully playable, full box set of Fringe. Oh. In Blu-ray. <laughs> okay. If we ever set up a Patreon, those are going to be the goals. <laughs> the goal, if you if we ever hit that one, is we'll just do like a theater mode where you get to watch us rewatch the entire series again. Because I God. still haven't seen past season one. Can we please? I want to so, watch Fringe. So, so David, okay, both both of you guys. Next week, next week. Um, can we try and binge season one so we can get David to start watching season two? Can, can we just, just we gotta record all the episodes though. that's what i mean is binge binge <laughs> record oh, oh. a season i we have lives i have a job you have a job so it would have to be in the evenings but yeah we could do we could do two episodes a day next you week. both have girlfriends yeah yeah it's an hour and a half of our lives a day <laughs> for a week it's gonna be <laughs> longer than that yeah, dude, yeah. it'll be like two, three hours. That's fair. Uh, I just want to get you to season two, damn it. It's fine. We, we will slowly make our way through this season. <laughs> worst case, worst case, we'll do uh, we'll do a weekend. We'll do one day out a weekend. Oh, oh. god! <laughs> play video games. You guys, you guys still, you guys aren't in the fucking school mode, damn it! <laughs> Need to get back no. to the whole. Oh god, we got to do it all right now an entire day doing shit to be fair i did watch these two episodes while playing elite dangerous <laughs> and taking notes because elite dangerous can afford me to do that yes yes it can. yeah you're not playing elite dangerous while we do episode while we I'm record not, episodes unfortunately <laughs> i'd be so much kind of swearing if i get in, uh get attacked oh <laughs> uh. Okay. Anyways. Okay, so let's read. Yeah, let's start with the TV guide summary of this episode. So this is episode six of season one, The Cure. Original air date was October twenty first, two thousand and eight. The reappearance of a missing woman with a rare disease puts everyone she meets in jeopardy and coincides with detections of dangerous radiation levels raising suspicions of a link to illegal drug trials involving humans. So I will give the I will give the TV guide this time a little bit of credit. They're, it's not quite as vague. It's not just 
Peter, this, Walter, and Olivia uh, investigate supernatural things or anything along those lines. It's so much more specific than most of them. <laughs> <laughs> like, we get the through line, we get the plot, we get the mystery. Usually, exactly. usually it's just like, hey, our main characters solve a mystery. <laughs> it was, think, it was, oh, sorry, go ahead. I honestly think it's because no one expected the show to last that long. Like, it came out and they're like, the fuck is this it's interesting no one's gonna watch it so yeah. we just won't put in the effort to write them and then like episode four hit and episode five hit and they're like we got something people will watch this we need to and and then the guy and then the guy that did the tv guides went well fuck i guess i'll start watching this because it's gotten good reception and watched season six and went i guess i will write a tv guide description this time episode six episode six i, I thought i said that oops you said season six we're recording this. We can play it back. <laughs> no. If it had a season six, it wouldn't be on this show. That's fair. We're not allowed to do anything that has that many seasons. Only five seasons. The last season has to be terrible. Exactly. Uh, so if we ever do finish Fringe, I hope you're all excited for the show we do afterwards, which will remain a secret until it happens. Because <laughs> we don't even know what show we're doing next. I've got like three ideas. But I have I'm a list to speak on here. I have a list of them, but hey, yeah. if you if you know about a show that has five seasons and the last one's really terrible, why don't you tweet at us? Tweet at us at Forsaf on Twitter. <laughs> hey, <laughs> gotta gotta sneak that in. Eh? It's always good. One day someone will tweet at us. <laughs> will they though? Will they? No. no. Will they? Will they tweet at us that isn't just one of the three of us trying to troll the other two by making a fake account? How did you read my mind? Oh no, dude! I've been doing it for like the past week. <laughs> That's a lie. We've had no tweets at us. <laughs> I'm on our Twitter right now, and I'm checking our email. <laughs> to be fair, we've only released two episodes. Oh hey, our podcast did actually get approved. Yay! Live. Ooh. We're on iTunes now. <laughs> so God hey, it, find guys. us on iTunes. Focus. <laughs> Give us a five star review. <laughs> And we'll read your name out on the episode. <laughs> no. Oh, whoops! Went against their TOS. We're banned. Everyone says that. That's Cut it. Every podcast does this. You guys not listen to podcasts? No, not enough. Dude, every small podcast li- li- uh, reads out their five star reviews. Oh god damn it! Well, they're, maybe they're just not so you know beforehand say, like saying it. No, they full on say, "Give us a five star review, and we'll read it out loud." Oof! <laughs> All right then. It's pretty standard. You guys need to listen to more podcasts. I, I guess. <laughs> Anyways, let us get back on track. I will. So I'll start off. Uh, the cold open for this episode, like we've had a couple, we've had a couple episodes in a row where, like you know. There've been there's like been like a kind of intense thing that's happened at the start of the episodes, but this this cold open harkens back to like episode one and two in the really what the fuck JJ. This one harkens, I think, most to the pregnant woman one. That's the one I had the like closest vibes to. That's fair. I just mean that we're going right back to the what the fuck JJ. Oh my god, that's so much gore to start an episode. Yeah, they were yeah. like, hey, we haven't had enough body horror in a in a while. <laughs> Let's do that. It's just but, so much gore. Oh yeah, but so you've got so just to just to give a little bit of an explanation, you've got this woman who is like thrown out of the back of a van, 
and is obviously very confused and goes into the first place that she sees at this diner and sits down um, and you can tell she's obviously in distress and the guy behind the counter picks that up uh, and calls a police officer that he knows to uh, come and make sure that everything's okay. He's, you know, at this point, pretty sure that there's some sort of domestic abuse or something like that happening. Yeah. Uh, well, also, and... she's thrown out of the back of a truck by people in hazmat suits, which is never a good sign. No, it really isn't. <laughs> but uh, this police officer comes and uh, tries to like get her to open up on everything and makes her more and more agitated with the questions that she's asking that he's asking because she doesn't have the answers to them. No. Nope. Uh, you and... did forget about the um, super nice waiter as well. Who is doing like everything right in the situation? Oh yeah, no, he's offers he's her free food. Really die. Yeah, offers free food and then immediately calls the police. <laughs> this is this is exactly how I felt watching Benny in season one of Stranger Things. It's oh, he's super nice, and then because it's Fringe, you're like, he's gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's too nice. It, uh, they're they're leading us into something here. <laughs> But yeah, no, he's doing everything right. Also, make sure that she doesn't get the terrible onion soup because nobody mm-hmm. likes the onion soup. <laughs> and yeah, the police officer is trying to get more out of her and she gets like visibly agitated and tries to leave. And he starts to arrest her uh, because he doesn't want her out on the streets. She, he can tell that she's in some sort of trouble. Well, I was writing that it was going pretty well for her and the police officer was being super like nice until she started talking about the medicine. And then you can just sort of see his face turn from like, looking at a concerned citizen to looking at a drug addict? Yeah. Was he very much shifted from this woman is in trouble to, oh, this woman's a junkie. I'm going to arrest her. Like, that's how I took it. From the blue medicine and the red medicine? Yeah, that's how I took it. Like, he completely shifted, like, body line. Like, I, I don't know if I'm giving more credit to the actor or not, but it felt like, to me, like, it completely shifted from someone trying to help to someone, like, being much more aggressive. True. I'd need to go back. I do, like, props, props to him. You wouldn't like if you if you were thinking it was a domestic like violent situation, you still wouldn't put them in cuffs regardless of how yeah they were right. Like that's why to me it felt more like a he's in like oh this is a drug addict now kind of situation. That's fair. Uh, but he um is you know trying to like you know start to arrest her, calls for backup, and at that point um some of the other customers. Uh, start experiencing some distress. Experiencing some distress, we'll say. <laughs> Just distress uh, in the form of bleeding violently from their all orifices, actually. Eyes, ears, nose, and mouth. Eh, it's, it's nothing that bad. It's horrifying. It is very horrifying. Once again, some great uh, like effects, I think, as well. Great effects and really good sound design. Yeah. Yes. It's done really well, even though it fills me with heebie-jeebies. <laughs> Well, oh, also because yeah. like everyone's everyone's falling on the ground, and this poor woman is handcuffed, and she like backs up against the door. She's like, "Holy shit, what's going on?" She doesn't even know what's going on, and then her head just kind of pops. Yes, and like there, she's up against this glass door to the diner, and then suddenly, strawberry jam is all over the window. Oh, I was gonna say it's like watermelon. <laughs> no, that's it's much thicker than watermelon. Like, so, it, so I, oh, oh. Ugh, I don't like looking at that. So I have a very distinct memory of the first time that I saw this uh, this like scene uh, because it was well it was first airing and my parents at the time as I mentioned in the first episode were like no you can't you can't watch Fringe uh, too too spooky too much gore too everything um, 
they were so right. right. <laughs> and they, they were right. Um, but so they would always watch it downstairs in my house. And there were these stairs that would go up and you could go up the stairs a little ways and you could still see it. Um, but, oh, Nick was a naughty child. But you could sit on those stairs and you could still watch some of the TV. So a lot of the time I would watch like the like cold opens of some of the shows to be like, go upstairs. Um, and I remember I was downstairs with them before. I'm pretty sure Bones was on before Fringe at this point mm-hmm. for season yes. one. Yes, it was. And like I, I was able to watch Bones and I sat, I did the thing where I sat on the stairs where, you know, I'd like pretend to go up the stairs, wouldn't make it all the way and then would step, would sit there. And I watched this and I watched this woman's head explode. And I was like, all right, I got to go now before my parents turn around and like decide they need something from the kitchen and see me there and go, what the fuck? I got to go now to not prove my parents correct. <laughs> oh. Speaking of sitting on the staircase, like when it's dark and your parents are watching TV, it reminded me of something I used to do when I was a kid was I would uh, go upstairs and then in protest because I didn't want to go to sleep yet, I would go into my closet, grab all my winter clothing and stuff it with my other clothing and form like a body double and then put it at the top of the stairs. And then I would wait in my room, which was right next to the stairs. Like if my door opened up and then the stairs were right next to it. And my mom would come to go to bed and I there would just be a child sized body sitting at the top of the stairs. <laughs> and she would freak out because there weren't any lights over our over our stairs. So it's just in the dark. Oh and my god. Would, and then she would go, David, what are you doing? And it wouldn't react because it's a body double. <laughs> so she would freak out more. David, you substitute. That was real funny. (laughs) This reinforces the fact that David is a sociopath. (laughs) So funny. I did it like two or three times. Well, so is David a sociopath or is he a Pokemon? And then on the final time, I was actually there. (laughs) And then I jumped out. Dude. (laughs) Because she was expecting it to be another body double. But it was me. So yeah, sociopath. Sociopath, yeah, no, definitely sociopath. <laughs> Have you not heard the stories about how he like verbally berated a senior at his high school when he was a junior? Don't worry about it. <laughs> because they were messing with the mics and he was in oh. a and he got oh, that's very mad. I like how there's enough stories that David had to like hear part oh, no. of the story. There's that one, and then the one I'm thinking of is he was you were holding auditions, I think, for something. No, it was it was just rehearsal. Yeah, and someone kept talking, <laughs> and he did that entire entire. Oh, do you have something to say? Why don't you say it in front of everyone? <laughs> and she was like, "No, I don't. I'm sorry. Please leave me alone." I didn't have been talking. Well, David, did you leave her alone, or did you make her get up on stage? Okay, I had already asked her three times to be quiet, and she was not being quiet. So I paused the scene that was going on stage during rehearsal, and I got her to go up by herself onto stage, and I made her run through her lines. And she was like, what do you mean run through my lines? I'm like, just start from the beginning of the play and say every line you have until the end. (laughs) She did it once, and I'm like, excellent, again. And she did it four times. I went, okay, good. Are you done talking? Is that enough talking for you? She was like, yes. And I'm like, awesome. Sit down and be quiet. Scene restart. <laughs> so you are a monster. Was, this was when you were like a freshman in high school, right? I was I was in 10th grade. She was in 9th grade. Okay, so oh. like, that's not even better. I thought it would somehow be like... I, I thought it was the other way around. I thought you were a 9th, 10th. Oh, 
But uh, no, it's it's worse that he's older and he's berating this younger girl. Oh, oh. I was also berating the 11th and 12th graders in the play. That was not a small play. I think it was like a cast of 20 to 25 kids. <laughs> I was director. Damn, dude. Uh, so, uh, note no to everyone, don't cross David. <laughs> Listen, they shouldn't be talking. I had to assert dominance. <laughs> I'm a very small Asian boy. I have to do something to keep leadership and control of the situation. <laughs> I was an even smaller tiny Asian boy in 10th grade than I am now. Uh, oh, you were. I've seen your grade 8 graduation photo. Oh, man. Okay. All right. So her head explodes. Cold open over. <laughs> yes, the lady in the cold open, her head explodes. <laughs> And then we cut to the fringe crew on the scene, and Walter is humming along to the power lines because he's like, ah, 1.8 gigawatts. That's a lovely frequency. And everyone's like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? <laughs> to be fair, when you say 1.8 gigawatts, I do ask what the fuck you're talking about. It was one kilohertz. You know, an actual frequency. I think that's. I think you were trying to get to the uh, uh, Back to the Future number. You, you, you well, did no, I know Back to the Future, future stuff is 1.21. <laughs> Yeah, but gigawatts is what they use. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm i sorry I didn't take notes on the exact line and that I'm not in some form of engineering. You should I don't be. know electricity. It's magic. But frequency. Again, I don't deal with audio. You're doing it right now. Do I deal with this, though? Or do yeah. I push it off to someone else? To be fair, that's what Gregory's job is. Yeah. <sighs> thanks, Gregory. The Everyone put a thanks, Gregory, in the comments. Yeah, the one person listening to this. <laughs> the one poor soul who decided to listen all the way up to episode six. And and then was like, oh man, I can't wait for them to talk about Fringe. And, uh, you know, oh we spend God. the first like 10 minutes of this episode not talking about Fringe. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, so yeah, we cut back to the fringe team. They are investigating. I think at this point, Walter uh, sticks a meat thermometer into one of their necks. Oh yeah, no, he no, not the neck. He flips the cop's head because the cop died on the counter. He rolls his head over and goes, "I wonder how hot his brain is." He takes a meat thermometer and jams it through his ear with the most satisfying crunch and squish you'll hear on TV at the time. It was a pretty good crunch and squish. It was really good. Like I said, sound design was great. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, but, yeah, uh, I think Broyles is there as well in this yeah. episode. And he starts he briefing the... them about the victim, who we learn is Emily Kramer. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And, and then and all then... the bodies are radioactive. Yes. So they're all reduced. They're all radioactive, but she's three times more radioactive, I think, is the metric they use. Yep. And then uh, Walter starts examining the uh, Emily, and they find out that she has some sort of rare and incurable disease called Bellini's lymphosemia, which has but, surprisingly yeah. gone into remission. Yes. And then we get a great line from uh, I think Peter. That's uh, how do you cure a disease that's uncurable? Oh, Peter. The early seasons were just like, hey, we need an audience question. Give it to Peter. Peter is the skeptic. Exactly. But there's there's so often there were like in the early episodes they hyped, oh, he's got an IQ of like 189, whatever. And then he's like, what do you mean someone used chemicals to change their body? That's impossible. And it's like, but you had, 
you have obvious proof that it happened, homie. <laughs> it's in front of you. It's very obviously possible. Yeah. Eh, to be fair, I feel like most of us, even at this point, would be very skeptical about everything going on still. I think, yeah, I think his high IQ is supposed to hinder that, if anything, as well, because he's supposed to be so smart and he knows so much about actual science that when the fringe science comes up, he's like more incredulous about it. They they actually hint to that in the next episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. But. <laughs> All right. So uh, they do some more tests on Kramer and they learn. The brains were boiled. Yes, that the essentially that everyone else died because all they were boiled alive essentially through microwave radiation, and they also find out that Kramer was being held against her will and also being given some kind of drugs that will cause her brain to emit like microwave bursts mm-hmm. and turn her into like a human weapon. Yes, Man, that's not a theme at all. <laughs> no, human weapons are. Uh, this is the only time. I mean, whoever did this had to be really power hungry, eh? <laughs> they're looking for the cure to their money problems oh feel free to cut that one out now it's staying oh fucking hell they need uh, to know how terrible it was <laughs> why is it their money problems because they're doing this all for the, money like the cure for their problems eh. I feel like that lands better it probably does, but yeah. Why don't we workshop this and then we'll re-record this again, <laughs> and Nick will do the proper pun we workshop. Excellent. <laughs> All scripted. Everything like you would not believe this crazy, just like <laughs> script I've got in front of me right now. It's got Spell. some very weird lines coming up. Like I gotta say, like banana, pineapple. It's a lot of fruits in here for some reason. For some reason, I wrote in the fact that he has to mention the script. Yep. <laughs> And then I mentioned the script in the script. It's crazy. It's really it's meta. Very, it's very meta. Oh, Anyways. <laughs> Please, let's get back to the episode. <laughs> We're so off topic. This one. Oh, God, this episode's been terrible. I'm sorry in advance to everyone listening. Uh, we find out that another girl has been kidnapped who also suffers from the same disease as Kramer did. Mm-hmm. And, Claire Williams. Yeah, and we also find out that it's Olivia's birthday. Yes, like her birthday. She don't like her birthday. Charlie Francis is like, I know you don't celebrate, but happy birthday. And you you can tell that she's you know very uncomfortable about Charlie mentioning her birthday. Oh yeah, Yeah. because we skimmed over this because whatever, it's a B plot. But in the opening, she's like kind of like, eh, I don't. Something's wrong with me today, but I'm not gonna say what. Yeah, she's being unnecessarily aggressive. Yeah, and Peter's like, hey, you're my friend. I noticed something's wrong with you. You want to talk about it? And she's like, nothing's wrong with me. Leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> this is what's wrong with her. It's, it's her birthday, and she doesn't like the immovable passage of time. Those exact words. Are, what, what, she, <laughs> <laughs> what she said with the yeah. <laughs> yeah. Throws a scroll right away. <laughs> Uh, um, so yeah, they go and this this happens. So the conversation between Francis and Olivia happens when they're going to go visit um, Emily's husband, right? Yes, so they, yes. They, they, uh, we should mention at this point that there uh, we are also introduced to uh, Nadine Patel before this. The oh, right. Yes, they visit her doctor first. Yes, and are like, hey, we know she had this disease. Hey, how did you cure her? 
He's just like, oh my god, it was amazing. I don't know what happened. And you can tell that something's slightly off. Like, yeah. We do also... We also skipped over this, because sequencing. But uh, after they talk to her doctor, we get this really wonderful shot of them back in the lab and Walter's doing the autopsy. Mm-hmm. And his head... It covers up most of the frame, but you can see like the Y incision on Kramer's chest. And I think your first instinct, having watched TV and knowing what happened to her, was, oh, they'll just cut and there'll be like a tarp over her body, whatever. But then, no, Walter moves his head and there is her, a bit of her lower jaw and the rest of the head is just gone. The lack of a lack of a head. I'm shocked if the show was on like tv like it's so gory like, we also we also get a really good line from walter while they're talking while they're talking about this and they're performing the autopsy when they mention that uh miss kramer was uh, obviously restrained all right uh, she, and was, she was either held under her will or she had a or a, she had a what, what was a proclivity, the word? proclivity for sexual bondage <laughs> and he's so like i'm not walter- judging <laughs> to which Walter goes, I'm not judging. Some of my fondest moments were, and then Peter's like, no, 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 we're not going this way. <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll leave that up to you about whether Walter was a sub or a dom in his uh, previous times. Oh, he, yeah, he would. Uh, he he could be either one. He was a dom, oh, definitely. No, he was. I don't know. I don't know if he was. A, he could have been like a sub as well, <laughs> just enjoying not being in control for once. <laughs> Having the science done on him now. Oh, can we move on? Can we... <laughs> no, we had to take this further than Peter let in the episode. I don't like where this is going. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah, someone... they talk to her, her husband. Who's and... like, we've never met Claire. Yes, yeah, and they show her. Uh, who's yes, we've... Kramer. <laughs> of course he's met Claire. They show her a picture, they show him a picture of Claire, and it's like, yeah, this uh, Claire was also taken. We were wondering if you knew her or had any connection, and he just like pauses and then goes, "No, I have no knowledge." Yeah, he had no knowledge of Emily Kramer with the same disease as your wife in the same city. Crazy, <laughs> which by itself is amazing odds. Yeah, considering they mentioned that there were only three thousand people in the U.S. with this disease. Yeah, mm-hmm. but Boston's pretty big. I mean, it could also be the only hospital that has treatment for it. Or is trying to treat it is in Boston, so they all moved there. Fair. Except we then see her family home, which is still in Boston. Yeah, most of their family homes. So that yeah. kind of goes with that. That that doesn't make sense. Yeah. We then cut to Claire Williams on a table. Someone in a hazmat suit comes in, takes her blood, and then comes up to a dude in a suit, a regular suit, not a hazmat suit, like a business suit. He seems to be a businessman. It's good sketchiest like skeeviest looking man yeah one of the skeeviest looking guys on the show um and it's like oh he's a she's a prime candidate and you're like what the fuck does that mean yeah you're uh it's a little bit suspicious prime candidate for what for whom (laughs) and then we get our probably my favorite little segments of the show we get walter's needless demonstrations oh yes <laughs> there's a floating never, papaya there's <laughs> never any point to these and like some some episodes he's like oh i got my magnets all set up and they're like walter we understand he's like but my magnet I have to show my science <laughs> yeah so he like takes a microwave gun and then explodes a papaya and being like this is what happened and I, i'm like i feel like that point gets across 
without the papaya. <laughs> like someone could be like, hey, how does this happen? You're like, well, microwaves make things get hot, contain space, it explodes. Here, let me throw a papaya in a microwave. Hey, this is how we knew Walter was probably an amazing professor, though, because he always loves to do experiments. Yeah, like, yep. By the way, I have now done the math while we were talking about this. Um, given the population of the U.S. and the population of Boston, population of Boston is currently around like 680,000. Population of the U.S. is like 330 million, approximately. Mm-hmm. Um, we can expect that six people uh, in Boston would have this disease. Okay, that's pretty... Yeah, if there's the two people, that makes sense then. Yeah, no, we'd expect to even see a couple more. I mean, but that's factoring in like equal chance for everyone to get the disease it's genetic we're 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 rolling <laughs> some <laughs> this, is, this is so far beside the point that oh yeah i'm just saying off. i want i wanted i did some math i had to show that i could do math yeah they find evidence of some meds in her that were like time release radiation bombs which turned her into a bomb Look, weaponizing people but they also realized that that is most likely what was making her better. What was making uh, yes. Emily better was uh, if these were released really slowly, they were essentially like a time, like a uh, timed chemotherapy, like burst of radiation. Yeah. Where Which long- that's, that's real, right? Like we actually have that, right? So um, we sort of do. Uh, one of the coolest things, which is really, really similar to that, um, is uh, there's currently research with chemotherapy drugs of placing them in these micro bubbles that you can then inject into a patient's body. You can follow it using ultrasound um, and you can follow it as it goes through uh, the vessels uh, until it reaches the spot that you want it to. And then you switch um, the type of ultrasound that you're using to a more mechanical ultrasound and it will burst those bubbles at that location. Hmm. Nifty. Uh, there is some time release. Like Time release is definitely doable. Um, but I like that method better. <laughs> it's a little more controlled than just like, hey, in five hours, the radiation will happen. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's also a little bit cooler. Yeah. Like, hey, we have to track it down and then explode them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, you can, and they're, they're super visible. But anyways. Yeah. After this display, Olivia and Peter end up deciding to go and investigate Emily's house during like the oh, end. They find out that they chose a really bad time to go because the wake is happening. Yeah. But Olivia yeah. doesn't care because she's grumpy because it's her birthday. And, you know, and there's Peter's a woman's like, life hey. at stake. But, yeah. Yeah. No, like, no, no, no. Oh, this, is, this is entirely explained in the show as Olivia is doing this solely because she's in a bad mood because it's her birthday. Totally. So they start rummaging. They, they go into uh, Emily's house and start rummaging through her things. Fortunately, they're wearing mostly black, so it does work. Uh, they, they sort of fit in. Um, Olivia's like, damn, the one day I wore my yellow suit. <laughs> and uh, yeah, run upstairs uh, and break into Emily's bedroom, uh, which is a super cool thing to do. Uh, if they're alive, yeah. If they're dead, not so much. Yeah. If it's at their wake and their, and their mom's there, really not cool. Yeah, surprisingly not cool. I like... This is one of those times where I'm kind of like, yeah, that's way too far. Like, <laughs> I told you she's grumpy because it's her birthday. It's, yeah, and and she like pulls it off as like this is our only way to get us. You know, the FBI will. Pass. I'm like, no, the FBI would tell you go fuck off. You're on. You're on. Uh, you're on paid leave right now. <laughs> you're under investigation. That's so not cool. Yeah, her mom does find her rummaging through 
Then Olivia's like, please, another woman could die. And she's like, yeah, I guess that makes this okay. Well, no, she says, please, there's another woman, Claire Williams, who's been taken. And her mom's attitude immediately shifts and goes, oh my god, what's happened to Claire? But, but they didn't know each other, right? It's then revealed that Claire and Emily were actually really close friends. And they get a photo from Emily's mom that's just a picture of Emily and Claire hanging out with Emily's husband as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's mentioned that, you know, it was through this disease they met and started talking and worked through it. And miraculously, both started to recover at around the same time. Yeah, because it's revealed that there's not enough people affected by the disease to make it profitable for big pharma to make a cure for it. Well, that's revealed when they go back to... They talk uh, to Ken Williams. In the next scene, so... And so it's like uh, some of the people with Bellini's... I feel like I shouldn't call it Bellinis because that just sounds like they have drinks. That's what they that's what they end up saying though in the show, right? Bellinis. They, they do call I it know, Bellinis. You're fine there. It, I know, but it just makes it sound like oh, all these people with this tasty, tasty drink and not this autoimmune disease. <laughs> tasty, Charlie, just... tasty drink. Uh, Bellinis isn't real, so it's fine. No, it's not exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, except they, for the drink. The drink is real. They were trying to make their own cure, and hey, Nadine Patel, the oh, it is. the. <laughs> Emily Kramer's doctor was um, helping them to research a cure. Yeah, and the uh, three thousand people in the U.S. who had it sort of all pooled the resources together because they found out, you know, they had their own skill sets and could work together. Um, you know, some of them, like there was like one person that was really, who was an investment banker. Here, you're assuming probably footed a lot of the bill, and you've got like you know researchers and things like that. So it was like a, a group effort, and ah, it started so a drug trial. <laughs> What was that? Ah, socialism. <laughs> socialism in the United States? Never in my America. It's because my America is Canada. <laughs> Charlie, stop telling them. I've gotten more vague. Yeah, we talked about Toronto in the first fucking episode. I also did say something something A just earlier in this episode. Uh, it's only David who's Canadian. The Charlie and I are both like, you know, far, far in the deep south. <laughs> of mexico it's truly <laughs> south i like how you're like truly south still in north america <laughs> oh yeah no i was talking like argentina yeah super far uh, south like in south america somewhere but no you still stayed pretty far north <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so they end up going back to dr Nadine patel and they're like what the fuck dude you lied to us you knew both of these women you know that they were getting healthy you know how and they and start asking like, him He's like, this is true, but have you considered suicide? And then pulls out a gun, <laughs> says oh, one, no. and he, then kills uh, himself. Well, he first, she asked him to tell like him who. So he says he was just reporting the information. Like he wasn't actually doing anything wrong. He thought that he was doing something right by letting people know this was working. And so then she asked, okay, who are we reporting to? And so he goes to the filing cabinet to go look at the file. But I guess he looked under file G for gun and he shoots himself in the head. <laughs> well, it's important to realize that he first goes for suicide by um because he pulls the gun on olivia to start. yeah uh, <laughs> and then he's like oh man I, I i could do this myself yeah <laughs> there's an easier way he does end up giving out the name of the person who is david esterbrook yes chief scientist um, employed by one of the uh master dynamics competitor companies and it's at this point intrepid yes and it's at this lowercase t rest of it is uppercase yes 
it's also at this point that we learn that uh, JJ Abrams and the rest of the fringe uh, like group very much have a thing against big pharma. Mm-hmm. And like, they make some fair points in this episode about it. I will give them that. Uh, <laughs> and we start to see the politics that goes behind big pharma in the next couple uh couple scenes and through the rest of the episode uh we do also get another scene i think right before this of uh claire in her bed where she's being given uh like weird medication so they start giving like the person in the hazmat suit comes in and gives her the red medication which is her bellini's medicine so the radiation release uh stuff and then she gives him she gives her the blue medicine and she, while she's doing this, she's saying, yes, this red medicine makes you better, but this blue medicine makes you special. <laughs> totally not super villainy at all. Uh. <laughs> and I think the weird thing, the thing that weirded me out about this entire situation was that Claire is like on the hospital bed and like locked up and she has like the IVs and stuff. But she also has like a TV screen right in front of her that's showing her own face. Oh, yeah, no, like that's some, that's some psychological shit, right? as this is happening and i'm like why 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 do you do this to her as well it's just also by definition she's already special she's one of <laughs> three thousand people in a country with a disease that's special yeah just in a it's dead a way bad kind of special <laughs> yeah like hey congratulations you're special yeah your immune system is gone <laughs> congrats <laughs> Yay. Isn't, it, isn't the uh, this, the thing about the disease is that your immune system thinks your organs are bad, so it attacks your own organs and that kills you eventually? Yes, something like I that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't think this show goes into much detail about their made-up disease. Mm-hmm. In general, no. Yeah. Uh, but it's mentioned that it's an autoimmune disorder. Yeah. Uh, some variety. Yeah. So and then... after finding out uh, David Estenbrook's name, David Estenbrook's name, they do some investigating and find out he's doing a speech at some sort of big uh, charity ball. So Olivia ends up going there, stealing a name tag and pretending to be like just some random floozy. And she hits on David for a while before like uh, reciting some lines that I think came directly from Nina Sharp in episode one, right? Maybe. The whole like we're reaching a point where science is accelerating so far, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, because he used to work for Massive Dynamic, right? Mm-hmm. Those are literally the lines Nina tells her in episode one, because they sound very familiar. They do sound very familiar. Yeah. But she ends up uh, she ends up finding out that, yes, he is doing weird experiments, or he sort of like admits that, hey... Uh, We're doing weird science. Like, yeah, come join us. We're doing great science. And so she freaks out and just starts threatening him, essentially. Again, she, she, it's because she's grumpy because it's her birthday. Mm-hmm. Well, he's like, uh, uh, identity theft is a crime. And she's like, well, so is treating humans as guinea pigs. Identity theft is a serious crime, Jim. So is human trafficking. <laughs> and then Broyles is like, what did, why? Why did you do this? This was a terrible idea. I understand like, that you learned more. He's like, there's, there's a small number of things that apparently as an FBI agent, you're not allowed to do. And you did one of them. Yep. To be fair, this is not Olivia's first time doing a bad thing today. She does a couple bads. Her discipline is that she has to tell her boss what she's doing now, which I'm like, I feel like it should be worse than that. I feel like, also, I feel like she should be doing that, like, all the time, uh, considering the work that they're in. Bros is like, 
everything goes by me now. I'm like, was it not before? Like, were they solving cases and being like, hey, we stopped that guy who could, like, I don't know, kill people by wheeling his pinky 27 times. And he's like, excuse me? When did that happen? (laughs) I assume he knows everything. Well, I'm a big fan of Brawls being like, ah, excellent. Now, did you get his brother, the one who can kill people by wiggling his index finger twice? And Olivia's like, why the fuck didn't you mention this earlier? He's like, it's need to know basis. <laughs> but yeah, we, we essentially learn, hey, maybe going after high-ranking officials uh, is not a good call, um, even if they're like corporate. And Olivia's reminded of this by uh, both Esterbrook and uh, Broyles. The good news is, uh, one of the great things that I got out of that speech from Broyles and her um, you know, getting berated was uh, Broyles does consistently refer to her as Dunham. We we are very much out of uh, sweetheart and, and liaison. Oh, thank God! So so there is some respect finally, which is nice. <laughs> but uh, so they sort of hit like a wall there where they can't investigate uh, Estrenbrook anymore, and Olivia's being super grumpy about it, <laughs> and uh, she they end up talking for like she, uh peter ends up trying to like say hey we know massive they're direct competitors to massive dynamic why don't we go to massive dynamic and ask if they have any dirt on Esterbrook? and you know olivia smartly mentions to peter hey i uh, can't do that uh that is you know corporate espionage super illegal not actually allowed uh even yeah. if we all know what's happening peter decides to go and cut a deal himself so he goes and finds uh, Nina Sharp, and we get another great reference to, I think, uh, Walter's sex life? Uh, yes. Oh, yes, I knew your father. In fact, we knew each other quite well. <laughs> and Peter's sort of like, uh... <laughs> yeah, we, we also get the weird thing of Nina being like, oh, yeah, being here when... Oh, don't worry. We don't expect you. To, like, I don't respect, expect you to remember that. And you just get all this, like, weird, like, you're like, oh, they were way closer back then, weren't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, not not looking super great considering you know Walter did have a wife. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we also see a scene where Claire is like fully weaponized, mm-hmm. where they like throw a rat in her room and she blows it up. Yeah. Um, and the uh, the one chick is talking to Estabrook and it's like, hey, look, she's ready. We can trigger the capsules in her body at any time. And he's like, sweet, we'll ship her out to the client because yep, they're making human weapons. Uh, in case you're wondering, the chick that Charlie's referring to is Elizabeth, uh, is referred to in the show as Elizabeth Sarnoff, who, interesting story, uh, was one of the lost show writers, that name. Really? Yes. The name or the person, the actor? The, the name. Elizabeth oh. Sarnoff uh, wrote 11 episodes of the TV series Lost. Huh. So, uh, interesting little oh. thing that got tossed in there. JJ must have been Just like, what couldn't... a great name. Where have I heard that name before? And then couldn't think of it. Ugh. <sighs> Uh, Walter sciences some science and isolates the isotopes uh, that they're using to make them go microwave boom. Yes, and methyl then, eugenol, which, yeah. uh, in case you're wondering, I don't believe that that is actually in Hyacinth. Is real. Well, no, it is real. Methyl, methyl eugenol is real. Okay. But from... Okay, no. Uh, it's methyl ether of eugenol and is important to insect behavior and pollination. I just don't think it's actually in Hyacinth. Uh, let me check that, though. Keep talking. Olivia is getting snippy again, and Peter's like, well, what's wrong? And she's like, well, it's my birthday. And he's like, that explains nothing. And she elaborates saying that when she was a little girl, her stepfather used to violently abuse her and her mother. Mm -hmm. And when Olivia was nine, 
she finally got his gun and shot him but didn't kill him and so of course an ambulance comes they take him to the hospital but he escapes the hospital and no one caught him and every day on her birthday he sends her a birthday card to let her know that he's still alive and peter's like oh my god that's why you're so grumpy i'm like yeah that's fair yeah and it's it's a it's a really really powerful you can see like you know she was trying to stand up for her mom um and trying to protect you know her and feels the regret but also shouldn't feel too much regret about not killing him because you know uh, killing someone is not super great wouldn't suggest it <laughs> even if they are done it i don't know what you're talking about i was i was also gonna ask that question <laughs> you said i wouldn't suggest it which implies that you've done it nick have you taken a human life don't worry about it how much how many human lives have you taken no more than five <laughs> <laughs> is it greater than zero no more than five is it, is it, oh is it a concerning number yeah <laughs> okay when when does a body count start to get concerning is it like two well just just remember as long as it wasn't as long as it all happened within like a set like small period of time it isn't serial killing then yeah, it's just a mass murder which is fine oh, no <laughs> then you're just a spree killer like Again, when does body count get concerning? Is it two? Or is uh, it like... Because you said no more than five. So like, what's the concerning number? So anyways, back to Hyacinth real quick. I have determined that methyl eugenol is found in Hyacinth. Uh, it is found in the flower of the Hyacinth. Uh, good. You did the same amount of research as the writers. Yes. Uh, but it only has a maximum uh, amount of 34 million. Uh, there were plenty of plants that are better. Uh, Ravensara aromatica has a maximum of 17,000 parts per million. Hyacinths, not the biggest uh, amount of it. Okay. <laughs> Moving on from the chemistry. Yes. Uh, which I know you guys love. Yes. <laughs> uh, they go and find where she's being held because Peter did the corporate espionage. Mm-hmm. And got an address where she's being held. Walter has made the cure for the cure, I guess. Yep, the, the cure for the second cure. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> that first cure, first cure was good. It's the added stuff that makes it rough. A little bit. It, it it's, it's fine until someone else touches it. The good news is your body is no longer attacking itself. The bad news is you're a microwave bomb. You'd <laughs> <laughs> be really good at, like, you know heating up some foods hey you want some popcorn get her distressed well they do mention that there is a remote switch that they're using because they want the client to be able to activate this on like remotely so um not sure how that works quite yet but yikes uh, so they find the facility olivia finds where they're holding claire but the sarnoff woman has already triggered the remote detonation and Olivia throws the antidote and is like, hey, stab this into your neck. I'm a cop, I swear. And Claire starts to seize and manages to stab herself in the neck and cures herself. At first, I was a little like, curious about how she would be able to stab herself in the right artery and not just, you know, like miss. But I think it's probably just because like she has this disease and it's mentioned they were trying all these weird like cures. So she probably is like... She did have probably some sort of training when it comes to like medical treatment. I mean, it's also the jugular. That one's fairly hard to. I mean, Charlie, could you seizing... stab yourself in the jugular right now? Yeah, like I, I give you, I give you something. You're like, hell yeah, first try right in the jugular. While I'm shocking you. I mean, maybe. All right, the next time we're all together, we're gonna <laughs> hand Charlie a marker. 
And we're going to say, all right, go for it. And then we'll check to see where you stabbed yourself. We'll use your barbecue lighter that you uh, that has the shock on it to, to get the distress going. No. I'm not essentially tasing myself. We'll record it and then put it up on Twitter. No. Oh, man, I, can't, I, can't wait for us. I can't wait for uh, Twitter to also get just disabled. But yeah, no. Uh, I will also ask: Was anyone else while this scene was happening, uh, while Claire is like starting, like you can see, like the radiation starting to build? Um, was anyone else also kind of going? Are they going to pull the whole? She just explodes anyways, and it was too late, just to oh, like yeah, further mess up Olivia's mood. Like yeah. first time I watched it, I was like, "Ooh, I don't, I don't, I don't know if this is going to work." Like, like cause yeah. she stabs herself, and then it's like, "Huh, everything's okay," and they kind of look at each other, and I'm like, "Yeah, this head's just going to go pop." <laughs> Oh, yeah. if the head went pop afterwards, oh, that would have been nasty. I, I think that would have been perfect. Yeah, I really I don't. It. I think that would have brought up the rating of the show. I honestly, like, I think that might have been taking it too, which I know, difficult to say, but yeah, I, I mean, honestly you think. Just, you just have the camera, like, focused on Olivia's face, and you just do a quick shot, reverse shot of them both looking revealed, and Olivia's like, okay, we're going to get you. And then you just have the pop and red strawberry jam hit the glass. And Olivia just kind of stopped, but I feel like that traumatizes Olivia too much, and the show is supposed to be, like, anti-trauma at a certain point for her. Yeah. <laughs> she has enough other traumas. <laughs> but yeah, no, I was totally, and that kind of speaks to the show, I was totally ready to buy into the fact that they were just gonna kill her anyways. Like, she was just gonna die. Yeah. But hey, she doesn't, she survives, and we get a relatively happy ending where, uh, after saving Claire, Olivia goes to confront uh, Estenbrook again, and she basically says, hey, you're under arrest. And he's like, well, I have a lawyer team that makes more than you, that I pay for more than, or that costs me per hour more than you make in a year. Like, they'll tear down this and we'll make the FBI a laughingstock. And Olivia's like, yeah, sure, but, you know, all the press outside are going to see me arresting you, so that's not going to go well. You know, you might not answer to the law, but you, you answer to a board of directors, and boy, they're not going to like this. I do love the the Fringe Wiki's description of this the final scene, or the second final scene, where she gets in her car and the radio turns on. It's like, oh, Intrepidus stock has fallen a lot, while Massive Dynamics has just risen a lot. And the wiki reads, Olivia realizes that there are consequences to her actions she did not foresee. How do you not <laughs> foresee that? So yeah, no, if you're going to lower the stock of Intrepus, its competitors are going to do better. And we already talked about earlier in the episode that Massive Dynamic has three separate corporations underneath it that all are direct competitors with Intrepus. Yeah. Like, oh my god, I took down Apple. Now Google and Microsoft are worth more? Who could have foreseen this? Wow. I think it's because of that also that she realizes Peter uh, made a deal with Nina. And she goes and confronts him about that as well. Yeah. To be fair, Peter's live was also immediately called out by Walter. Because uh, hey. he's like, oh yeah, no, I got a guy who who can like who has these like heat tracking satellites. And Walter's like, that wouldn't show up. That's just a lie. Yeah, no, Walter starts to say he's like, What are you what are you talking about? She's not giving off heat right now. And Peter's like, Walter, it's fine. I got this. And I'm like, how did Olivia right there? Olivia definitely cool. knew and then went, okay, well, Peter's got this from somewhere. I guess I'll run with it. Fuck shady, it. Shady con man gonna shady con. Yeah. <laughs> and then the final scene is her getting a thank you or a thinking of you card from supposedly her stepfather. 
I would also like to back up a little bit because we also get after her uh, arresting Estherbrook, her uh, monologue with Broyles, uh, which I thought was a really, really excellent monologue. Uh, and it's really like, you know, you've, you've oh, seen yes. Olivia being like a strong female character through like these first couple episodes, but I really feel like they were hammering that home in this episode and I loved how they did it. Yeah, one of the lines that really stood out to me was the, uh, you called, you said that I was too emotional, which is like, uh, which, uh, regardless of the fact that that's something all my female colleagues get told anyways, like it's true and it makes me yeah. strong. Yeah, she's like, the quote is, I understand you think I acted too emotionally. Putting aside the fact that men always say that about women they work with, I'll get to the point, I am emotional. Yeah, I thought that was that was a really strong statement. And like, I think- Super my the nose, yeah. perfect. My note is just, yeah, Olivia, fucking slay. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like they do a really good job, like, like the B story where Olivia's dealing with her past and her stepfather and the fact that it's her birthday and, you know, him taunting her and how she's dealing with that. And then also dealing with this and bringing in both of those into this one episode, I thought was really, really great and really shows, you know, they're, they're having a strong female lead in this uh, in fringe. And I really, really loved it. Well, this just sort of flexes the fringes, like writing teams, like their ability to write good characters, I think. Like, it's just flexing their ability to write realistic and strong characters that are, like, interesting and make sense. Yeah. And you never... They they hit some, like, cliches and pitfalls of, like, the, the female lead and stuff. But they also flip those a lot where it's, like, sometimes Olivia's in distress. And most of the time it's, wow, what Olivia's to the rescue. Like, mm-hmm. they never are always like, oh, no, we female lead. It's Olivia's probably the toughest person in the show. Uh, oh well peter gets kidnapped in a previous episode yeah oh yeah he does <laughs> olivia literally saves peter in a previous episode but it's like i i i want to talk more about it and nick you'll kind of know what i'm talking about more but like they really really go out of their way to avoid the strong female lead until she is in tropes mm-hmm. yes like there's never an episode where it's suddenly well before olivia would have gotten out of it but today she's got the flu so she's not getting out of this one they really go out of their way to be like no this is what she would do in this situation and they have consistent logic throughout this this is her character and they they stick with it and i really really love that they stick with it because all right um yeah that brings us to the end of the episode Mm -hmm. so what are ratings for this episode what do you guys think this so, is a strong four out of five. I'm I'm gonna even have to write a little bit higher. I think so. The body gore at the start sucks you in, even though it is very disturbing. Um, and gives you know this episode has uh, some really strong like you know it's it's really showing like a good side of Olivia's background. Um, and showing you know that strong female lead that we just talked about for a second. Yeah, this and is her also like, got biggest character development i think basically since the pilot exactly like a huge amount of character development for olivia in, the, in this episode and then you know they also tie in not too heavy-handedly you know the terribleness of uh some pharmaceutical companies at the time as well and they they show like they make that a big focal point of this episode and they do it in a pretty good way because at the end you're still left with the whole yeah no they kind of got away with it like you know that Estabrook's gonna get away and yeah. you you know that you know well, he's he's if, out for Olivia. Well, it's like even if Estherbrook doesn't get away, like the company's gonna get like the research is still gonna go on. Like there, yeah. there are a buyer somewhere. That's exactly. Still gonna be that they're still gonna be funding those kind of things. Like 
they won the battle, but not necessarily the war in this episode. Mm-hmm. So, like, I've, I've got to give this, like, four and a half out of five. Like, it's close to perfect for me. I really, really enjoyed this episode. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, it's, like, four out of five. Yeah. Or four and a half out of five. This is one of the better episodes in season one. Mm-hmm. Um, the Observer cleanup stuff, he was... Observer was behind Estabrook and Dunham at the Manhattan kind of get-together, the... Yep. He, the, the party that he's kind of the lobbyist party, I guess, is what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, cipher for this episode is cells, which is pretty appropriate. Works on kind of multiple levels, I guess. Oh, yeah. The cells and the disease, and then I'm sure kind of you could say they were a terrorist cell. And uh, oh boy, the the clue power hungry. Oh god. <laughs> oh god, it's real difficult. So so when we are looking at Sorry. I'm excited for when these are done. <laughs> yeah. So so this 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 clue, once again, you're never gonna spot these things. Um in the bicoastal parcel service, uh, there is a television displaying the news report, and beside that there is an intrepid coffee mug. Yep. Yep. Exactly. It's real weak. Garbage. It's it's definitely there though. Like it's definitely still there, but man, it is <laughs> David, you're gonna be you're gonna be really upset about the next one. Oh, <laughs> You're going to be really upset about the uh, next one. Well, we'll get to that. Yep. <laughs> All right. So I believe that's everything for the episode. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Four Seasons in a Funeral. Um, I hope you all join us for the next one. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, you can tweet us at Twitter uh, at Four Seasons in a Funeral or Forsaf. That's F-O-U-R-S-A-A-F. Or you can email us at Forsaf at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R-S-A-A-F at gmail.com. And uh, feel free to check us out. Um, obviously, if you're listening, you found one of the two current methods, uh, whether that be iTunes or Podbean, but that's currently where our podcasts are hosted. Uh, and hopefully you guys will tune in next time for the next episode. By the time you guys hear this episode, we will also be paying for hosting. So Help. <laughs> that one will help. By the time this episode comes out, we'll be paying for hosting for like a month already. Oh, God. Yeah, a month of host paying. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, All right. All well, right. I've Bye, been guys. Charlie. I've, I've been, been David. Nick. Damn it. Okay. Nick. God damn it. Well, I've been Nick. I've been David. Outro. The theme music for Four Seasons and a Funeral is Algorithms by Chad Crouch and is licensed under a attribution non-commercial 3.0 Creative Commons license.